Hello, 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 and welcome to the 52-week film project, week 15. I am joined by my lovely co-host, Will. Will, how you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad, Jake, not too bad. How are you doing yourself? Yeah, yeah, good. This feels like a very kind of forced, late, late show style entry <laughs> this week. Are it? you saying oh, the late, late show I'm is here forced? With my, I'm here with my co-host. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, um, we've had a very exciting week, haven't we, Jake? It's been it's been a good one. Yes, we have. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I know yeah, we that, was, that was yeah, organic yeah, as fuck. But you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we we were saying. I, I think a couple of episodes ago, we said, uh, and at some point soon, we're going to try and do a double bill because dare we say it, we've got a bit more time on our hands. And then we realised the following week that it was going to be the London Podcast Festival. Um, and this past weekend that we've just had was the only weekend that me and you can really fit in to go and see so yeah it's suddenly become a lot busier this week than we thought it was going to be but you know it's been very exciting um so i mean london podcast festival we went to on friday and saturday um and we so saw great. three different performances which was it was really exciting i mean there's there's two full weeks of it so like it's in king's cross in a place called king's place uh, for like the next week and a half. So if anyone is listening and wasn't aware of this, like go and see some shows. Everything from Within the Wires to Smirsh Pod to, um, oh, there's some really good things. Uh, there's, there's a really great podcast, Will. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Griefcast. Oh, I haven't heard um, of it. And it's like comedians that sit down with other famous comedians. And they talk through like family bereavements and mental health in the family and stuff like that. It's really like really funny, but really sobering as well. Um, and they're there but that's when I'm away on holiday which is a real shame because I saw it and I, my heart skipped to beat I thought yes finally go and see it and sadly not mm. but this last weekend Friday and Saturday we went and saw three different shows we saw the Empire Film Podcast um, which neither of us actually listened to no um, which, is, which, thought... is in, which is quite bad considering we the format of their show is very similar to our format yeah we, massively I... Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they switched around the new they switched around just for that episode the news and the reviews so they were using the same format. So we were going to shout our copyright clause at them but you know Yeah, they definitely like I mean they we we were the first ever podcast to come <laughs> up with the idea to do film and TV news. Um <laughs> And then those bastards just stole it from right underneath us. They just pulled the rug, didn't they? I know. Um, but no, it was really good. It was a bit weird because that podcast has been going for about five years and there are in-jokes that me and you just did not understand. Yeah, it went like, straight there's, there's over this, our heads. There's this thing called bangly bang that they all shout. Um, not a fan, personally. Well, I, think I just, I just could, don't get You could definitely reference. come up with a better catchphrase or in-joke like hello, 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 for example. Oh yeah, that because that's um, so original. Because that yeah, that's such a classic. <laughs> Everyone's going to be saying that when we do our podcast live. Um, but no, it was a good show. It was interesting. They brought out Corin Hardy, who was the director of The Nun, um, which instantaneously made me and you want to see The Nun a hell of a lot more than we already did, mm. which was probably in the negatives, in the minus desire. Um, yeah, I haven't been to see it though. Because uh, we decided to watch something completely different this week. I know. Um, I know. Our, our but... minds, our minds are frazzled, and we're just, we're just very confused. I thought, but I, on other, on talking about Corin Hardy, I thought it was interesting because he was talking deeply about wanting to to make the crow and about how the, the project just hasn't worked these last three years, but still really wants to do the project. And Con- it sounds context, like... context for anyone though, the the crow is the classic kind of gothic action thriller with Brandon Lee. Mm. Um, where it's am I right? Well, am I right in saying that it was a it was a thing where Brandon Lee um, was shot by a prop gun that misfired on set, and he actually died. 
I think that I think you filming. are correct. Yes. Yeah, there's some big thing around it. But anyway, Corin Hardy, as you were saying before, I interrupted you. Is, is has been wanting to get a Crow remake off the ground for years, mm. and, and he sounded like he was very very sad that it hadn't happened but it, it also sounded kind of like the nun was his film that was going to make make the money in ways so that he could get back to his pra- passion projects um that's what yeah to definitely me i mean he's like. still a, he's still a relatively new director like mm. the only thing that they referenced on the empire interview that he had done previously was a film called hallows that i looked up and was you know it was a big budget film but nothing i'd ever heard of before and certainly nothing else um, but no, the Empire Film Podcast, so that was cool. Um, and then on the Saturday, we went to see um, a live performance of Victoriosity, which is like a Victorian mystery story that's told through episodes. Um, and they've just finished fundraising on Kickstarter for their second season, which was awesome. And they gave us like a uh, like a sneak preview of the new season, which is due out around February, March next year. Um, that was especially cool for you guys because, you, well, Will and Ollie, who I went with, you guys hadn't listened to it. And no. thankfully, we didn't know what they were going to do, but thankfully they decided to do, with all of the cast on stage, they did a, like, they ran through the first and second episodes, which was good because I was worried that they were just going to jump in with like whole new stuff that you guys would be completely unaware of. Yeah. Uh, but you, you actually got a really cool, unique introduction into the podcast. Yeah, it was really, really good. And I think the Victor- Victoriosity is a thing that I've, I've subsequently now listened to. And it's amazing the performances of those actors on stage because it sounds exactly like w- what you're hearing on hearing in the podcast as well. It's, and it's vo- insane. Yeah, their voice acting is just very, very impressive. It is phenomenal. And you look, you look them up online and the people that are voice actors in Victoriosity are like some of them are in the Shakespeare Company, some of them perform at the Globe. Um, some of them are in films like they, they do a lot like they're really talented people mm. um, and then what was the third one we went to see Will well, we, we went got to a bit, see drank a bit um, too much beer and got a bit merry well we did get we did, we did drink a lot of beer before the last one we had a about five hour break between or five or four hour break between uh, Victoriosity and then uh, a gay and non-gay which we went to see which I like to describe as a funnier version of this podcast but um, very with, true yes a very well edited Yes. much more humorous version of us <laughs> yes and let's talk about movies which actually is our niche so that's fine um no it was fantastic um i got called upon quite a lot in again not gay if you check out well we Insta, did we did sit pictures. in the front row we sat in the front row and I, I remember you turning to me when we first arrived and you were like we're not gonna get picked on are we is that is this that kind of show and i was like no no definitely not like definitely not thinking no we, we probably will be picked on yeah and and I actually really enjoyed it. The the, the two guys were lovely. Um, I, I I just thought I just thought that the it was such a funny show. And it was also really really well um, produced. They had they had a real idea of it being a show. I think that might be because they did the Edinburgh Fringe. Um, James yeah, Barr definitely. is a comic. He understands the nature of creating a show show. Um, so it was it was it was good. And it was their hundredth episode as well. So. Um, I am in there somewhere, I think. Yeah, we're just um, waiting for the episode to come out. Talking but, about my um, problem with ripped jeans, but we will not go into that in this podcast. But sh- you can yeah, listen to no, a gay and non-gay. If, yeah, yeah, we'll, um, we'll link the episode when it comes out so that you can hear Will kind of doing his first ever crossover episode of podcasting. <laughs> um, and me just chuckling in the background. Uh, mm. But no, big shout out to James Barr and Dan Hudson. We didn't get much time to speak to them, but we did chat to them briefly at the end and they are they're really lovely blokes, hearts of gold. Yeah. Um, and, and as we I, were I leaving... That, that, sorry. 
Go on, go on. As they, as we were, as we were leaving, um, we 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 were just we were just drinking in the bar afterwards, and then we and then we talked to them before, and then afterwards, um, we were just leaving to go out, and James Barr stopped his conversation, and said, "Thank you so much for for coming to see our podcast." And I thought that was a really nice touch. Yeah, it shows yeah. he's really in touch with his fan base, and I really like that. It was really nice, and I think definitely going to the podcast festival, we didn't see the biggest shows, but it did it did confirm that you know you can have these podcasts that. They they they're huge and they're really talked about and they're really popular, um, but when it comes to it, like not a lot of people will actually kind of show up physically to go and see a live performance unless it's like a, a really really huge one, um, which kind of it, it makes it seem achievable what we're doing and you know we're starting to build that fan base and we're getting reviews in. Shout out anyone that's reviewed recently, um, but it kind of just it, you know I, before going to the London Podcast Festival, I remember thinking like. There is no way we're going to come away from this and think, yeah, we could do it. Mm. And, you know, whether it's 52 Week or whether it's another project that we develop in the future, you know what we're like, um, <laughs> we we could possibly be in one of those rooms or on one of those stages at some point. And that's that's pretty cool. It's quite, it, was insp- it was a very inspiring place to be without seeming too daunting. Yeah. Like, I was really impressed by everything that I saw, but I also kind of looked at it and thought, you know, if we try hard enough, we could do that. Definitely, we could do it. and I think also so that was cool a good as, a, as a new podcaster. Yes, definitely. I think also coming as a at week at our quarter century last week, quarter century, quarter quarter century, <laughs> not quarter century. Uh, it's called the fifty-two week film project, not the hundred week film project. Although that might be better. No, let's check. Let's stick with the name. Um, no, it bad coming through year our film project. <laughs> no. Um, coming from our quarter episode, I think it's quite good. It, I think it's rejuvenated us. I think we're very, very excited to do um, to keep on going with this podcast, and and I think rejuvenated our love of doing it as well. So it's good. I mean, I don't. I, I mean, I never lost it, but you know, no, no I didn't lose it if, either. If you were thinking, I think if, you were nice think if you were thinking things were getting that stale, well, then you know, fine. No, it's a spiritual <laughs> it is, bump mate. it. It's good. All good. <laughs> but yeah, no. So London Podcast Festival. It's on until. Uh, God, dare I say it, like the 21st of September. So lots of great shows, really not that expensive. Definitely go and check it out. Yeah. Now, jumping into the news. Ooh, I'm going to let you have that this, this week. That was good. I know, mate. I thought I'll give it a try. That's, that's the, cords. that will be, so we'll have both our versions now on, on the audio that is hopefully coming soon. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that editing ability that we just don't have, but we keep promising to our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, yeah, hopefully we will. Otherwise, we want one of those fucking sound pad things where we can just live when we're doing a podcast, press buttons, and it will do things like, oh no, you didn't. And yeah, like, but my problem another is one that... will be like an explosion, and one of them will be like Will's laugh, and I'm just going to cue it when he doesn't laugh at things that are genuinely funny that I'm saying. I, I, I worry <laughs> that I'm just going to spam it. You know, you know, like when you were used to, like, maybe music. Do, 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 don't do it. Yeah, well, that. But also, like you know, those like when you were in fourteen, you were in music class, and you'd be like DJ, DJ, DJ. Yeah, I yeah, just yeah, wanted that's to cue that. I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just continuously throughout the podcast. But yeah, um, going into our new se- segment, do you want to start yes. off us off, mate? Yeah, I mean, because we've got a lot to get through. Should we do a couple of articles each? Should we sacrifice one each? I mean, I've got one that's not particularly that. It's not very interesting. It's just um, the Oscars decided, as many people have probably heard, to pull back on their outstanding achievement in popular film category and reconvene um, after realising that it was a colossal PR fuck-up and just <laughs> a stupid idea, um, especially for something that they were hoping would reel in more viewers 
and actually has probably lost them viewers considering the way they've handled it but um no i i think that is now died a death i don't think we'll see a return of that um do you think they'll replace it with another plan or do you think they'll just leave it i think they'll probably shut the fuck up for a while I I think, I remember saying this to you outside the Empire film thing the other day because they brought it up. It reminds me of a couple of months ago, maybe a few months ago now, when Spotify tried to do that thing where they were like, we're not going to allow artists on our platform that violate our kind of like good... persona policy or whatever so the idea the, the, the idea essentially was like they chucked they, they were planning to chuck xxx tentacion um a very controversial rapper who was on trial recently before he was shot and killed um but while he was still alive they were going to chuck him off the platform because of the allegations against him of assault against the woman and all this kind of stuff um but then his pr team basically just responded in an open letter online saying okay spotify well if you're going to do that to us what are you going to do about all of these legendary, huge artists that are on your platform? And we're talking like Pete Townsend from The Who. We're talking um, Michael Jackson's music. We're talking ACDC. What are you going to do with all these guys who equally have allegate have had allegations against them in their lives, either of worse gravity or even you know or, or similar kind of ilk? Um, and they retract. They retracted the policy because they realised like we're not going to be able to make this even and fair to everyone. Um, mm. They're essentially starting a Salem witch trial, um, and I think very quickly realised that what they were trying to do in a positive way just is not feasible. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what the Oscars have done. I think they've they've tried to do something that they think is justified and will please the public, and then realised very quickly that they haven't done their due diligence, and it's not actually what the audience wants. Mm. It's just what they think is the easiest solution. Um, but yeah, there you go. There's that short bit of news that I said probably wasn't worth talking about. Yeah, and then, and then and then we talked about. It. <laughs> but you know, that's how we work. It's all good. Um, I've got a bit more sombre piece of news um, as my start, um, addressing the death of Burt Reynolds. Um, the actor died at the age of 82. Mm. Um, now, in the Empire Film Podcast, we also ha- we also had this piece of news delivered to us. Um, so I thought I'd find some some pieces of news about Burt Reynolds that wasn't mentioned there. So in just in okay. case people will listen to Empire Film and this one. Um, so because just just quickly, we also we, you did bring up Burt Reynolds a few news segments ago, didn't you? I'm making a face um, now because I looked back at it, and it's not Robert Reynolds; it's um, Robert Redford. Oh right, um, I know. No, I, I know. had it in my head. I had it in my head. You talked about Robert Reynolds. Anyway, carry on with your no, movie. Yeah, so, so I've just got some fun facts. Um, he has been in 145 feature films. Imagine Fucking that. Fucking hell. 145 feature films. Uh, my favourite film that he is in is Boogie Nights. Uh, that's, I think it's one of the only ones I've seen. Um, but, but um, just because come on, mate. There's 145. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know, but, but try a, bit a lot of them were the in the 1970s, 80s before Ye's inception. Um, and <laughs> yes, so Boogie Nights is one of my fa- one of my favourites. He was really, really quite scary in that film, um, and he and it just showed how good of an actor he was. Um, I found this interesting. Uh, he attended Florida State University for two years on a football scholarship, but his sports career was derailed by a knee injury sustained in a car accident. So if he hadn't had that sports injury, perhaps he wouldn't have gone into acting in the first place. 
It's happened to a couple of actors. I think it happened to Hugh Laurie as well. Hugh Laurie did his back in doing rowing at Oxford and then moved into comedy. And that's now how we get the Hugh Laurie we know and love today. Um, just thought an interesting thing. A necessary sacrifice. A necessary <laughs> sacrifice. Um, the he's also was cast in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Quentin Tarantino's upcoming film. So did he do he ha- shooting? He hadn't done any shooting, however. Oh, so he was cast, shame, but had not done shooting. Um, get fucking, who's that other guy you were talking about? Robert Redford. Yes. <laughs> they should get him in to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then or just they should lo- get Alec Baldwin because he'll take any job at the moment. I'll stop it, you. <laughs> um, and then the last fun fact is in 1972, he did a film called Everything You Wanted to Know About Sex, but are too, but are too afraid to ask. And his character name was Sperm Switchboard Chief. So, Burt Reynolds, um, a long career, varied career, um, and he was a sperm switchboard chief. What more can you say? Sperm switchboard chief. Yes. So, I assume that he controlled a switchboard um, and he liked sperm. I don't really know. I can't. I, yeah. I haven't watched the film. Yeah, well, may- maybe that's one for a rainy day, mate. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I'll bring yeah, it up week 19. Let's, look that so, up. By let's, the way, let's do that when we do another double bill. Yeah, week 19, um, I'll bring it up. Yeah. Um, next piece of news, mate. Uh, yeah, okay. So, really brief one. Um, do you remember the film New Mutants, the next in the X-Men franchise? Do I, do I remember do you, the film? Are you, are you familiar with the concept of the film The New Mutants? I am familiar with the concept of the right. film New Mutants, So. Yes. So this film was meant to come out in April, right? Mm. And they Fox push push production back to well push the release date back to August 2019. Um, there's now kind of word is out that they're looking to reshoot over half of the film. Um, Jesus but, Christ! Yeah, but I don't know. You know, I don't know whether they've got guns to their heads but the cast are kind of coming out and saying this is you know we're actually it's good because we're now actually making the film we we initially signed up to do um allegedly when it was first pitched and first cast it was meant to be quite a dark horror film um kind of in a similar vibe to like m night Shyamalan's split film like that Mm -hmm. kind of vibe yeah um but as filming went on they made it a bit more of a watered down by the numbers x-men film which you know is fine by me uh but i think if you've got an idea you should stick to it and apparently now what they're doing is yeah this is classic like corporate hollywood but apparently because they've seen that there's a real uptick and a real market for well-designed horror films they've reversed their plan to make it as marketable as possible and have decided to go back to the let's make it quite horrific vibe um, which hopefully means that we end up getting a better film out of it. It's just kind of a bit grating to see that Hollywood, you know, they're realizing these things way too, way too late. Mm. And it's like, come on, like if you'd had enough faith in this project and you'd worked out what the audience wanted, this could have been out by now. But yeah, yeah. hey ho. Um- and we know from the um, if if you really really try hard um, in that the X Men universe is so rich and films like Logan prove that if you really try hard and make to make an arty film in that universe it will succeed. So I hope that the New Mutants now has a good direction behind it. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. That's I agree. Team. Yeah. I agree. Um, um, what's your next bit? Yes. So you are aware of the um, the Danny Boyle is not directing the new James Bond film. Um, yes, he's pulled out of the race, hasn't he? He has pulled out in the race. Um, how much, do you know how much was done before he left? 
I'm not. Was, any, was it? Sh- was it shooting? Well, the, so I I don't know, but I think this comment from my second piece of news will shed some light on it. So, Ooh. yes, I know. Um, so an actor called Saeed Tad. Tajamui, I think that's his name, or Tagmaui, um, has been reportedly cast as the Bond villain. Yeah. Um, he played Samir in Wonder Woman, um, and he also played Caesar in Lost. I'm not sure if you're aware. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, I know, I know the actor. I saw this article. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Carry on. Um, so what he has said, he's gone to his Twitter and said that he might be cast in the film. But these are exactly um, his words. We don't know who the director will be, and the producers don't know if they're going to go Russian or Middle East with the baddie right now. I literally received a message saying, if they go Middle East, it's you. If they go Russian, it's someone else. So this this poor actor is just being kept in the lurch by the fact that Danny is gone. And the producers are now try, as, trying to keep him in. But, he, that, but it just sounds a bit hopeless, really, to me. Do you, do you believe that? Because I feel like with all the NDAs involved in being signed onto a film, I feel like if that is real, he's in some kind of shit for saying that. Like, I, I I agree, but I, I, I kind of look at it in the same way that Guardians of the Galaxy 3 has got a lot of problems right now and all the cast are coming out. I oh, think yeah, mate, the, we don't know if it's going to happen or not. Exactly, but I think the, a similar kind of problems are happening in Bond, not to do with anything to do with the director, but in terms of created differences, the, the cast are still being left in the lurch. And so I think, from the sounds of it... Um, Saeed is probably quite angry about this whole this whole situation. So I can under- I can understand him doing this, and also this might mean that he probably won't be the, the villain by him doing this tweet. That's that's my instinct. Yeah, it's it's a shame. It's a shame that he's got to this state. But um, it's interesting, isn't it? That if if they go Russian or Middle East, that's that's the two options for this next Bond film. It's a bit shit though, isn't it? That like, yeah, no, I I, I feel like a. I don't know. It would really fuck me off if that was the position I was in. Hmm. Yeah. Like, if they decide that we want to make a film about an extremist Middle Eastern, you're the best person to be an extremist Middle Eastern. But if we want a Russian, we'll just do that instead, and you're not worthy of any kind of role. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. I I, I just think I, I just it's just a bit shit in it. Um. But yeah, hopefully that film will be in good hands. I think they should have. I think when they signed Daniel Craig up for another one, I think that was a stupid decision. I think they should have just cracked on and either waited a bit and taken a while to work out what to do next, or just got on and recast it. Yeah, I don't think I don't think this one's going to be very well received. Um, I also think if we're talking, if we're pontificating over who the next Bond's going to be, because people love to do that. Um, it's not. I, I, mark my words. It won't be anyone that is currently rumored. I agree. Because this film won't come out until twenty twenty, and then the next film won't come out until twenty twenty three. Like a, a fucking lot changes in five years. Like some people have been saying, Richard Madden, who's the lead in the Bodyguard TV series, um, is a new front runner because obviously that's like the most watched TV show ever at the moment. Uh, it's been smashing records, um, I, but like even Richard Madden, like he's already pushing thirty something. In five years' time, 
he's not going to be the fresh face that you want for the new James Bond. Yeah, I think he's like 38 or something. He's he's past yeah. that sort of romantic well, lead actor point. Done three now. seasons of Game of Thrones. Like, I have exactly. no doubt that he's going to be catapulted into big roles now. But I don't think in five years' time he's going to be James Bond. No. And not it also matters. Stretch. It matters about where you are in terms of um, are you culturally relevant? Because Tom Hiddleston, the rumours about Tom Hiddleston came about essentially after Night Manager. Night Manager, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's just now a social Man- media frenzy, mate. And when Poldark was out, it was that Aiden whatever guy, Aiden Turner, yeah. That's it, yeah. And then when Kingsman Two came out, it was like, oh, could Taron Egerton do it? Exactly. Like, people like that's not how they think. Yeah. Like they're they're looking at people that you're not even aware of that are probably just about to be cast in Broadway musicals or some shit. Like they're looking so far deep. No one thought that Daniel Craig was going to be the next Bond. No. He'd just come off the back of filming fucking Layer Cake. Like, exactly. He he was not. Yes, he'd established himself as a bit of a hard nut, but he was by no standards this crazy A-list actor who, you know, he he wasn't where Idris Elba and Tom Hardy are now. Mm. And in terms of casting the previous People didn't really like him. Yeah. It's either been a new actor, like George Lazenby, or it's been people who've auditioned for the part previously and have not got it. Um, So if that's the case, um, it won't be any of these actors who've not previously auditioned for James Bond, I don't think. Exactly, exactly. Is that your final piece of news or is that... That's my second piece of news, but my third piece of news is not that interesting. (laughs) What, go on, hit me with I'll just do it quickly. Gemma Arterton is to play Dusty Springfield in So Much Love. Um, It's the the screenwriter who wrote Carol. Um, This is not the first time Gemma Arterton has been singing. She was famously in Maiden Dagenham um, as the the lead uh, when it came out in London, I think. Yep. Um, Not that excited. Um, Yeah, kind of cool. I don't really like her, so it's not for me. No, I yeah. Quite, I, and I, I want to mention it because... I feel, like we brought, I feel like we brought that up before. Really? No, we brought I, up I, Gemma Arterton before. Oh, I don't think we brought up the Dusty Springfield. No, no, no. I mean, like, not thinking she's a very good actress. Oh, yeah. That's that's a consistent theme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Near enough. Um, no, Maiden Dagenham is, in my opinion, one of the worst musicals ever created. Um, and Gemma Arterton was not that great in it. I, um, my friends did a university production of it. And they did the best they could do with bad material. The, ba- the musical is terribly written. There is a line. Are you, su- music- are you salty because you went in that one? I'm, I didn't even. Want to, I didn't audition for that one, Jake. And I didn't if audition Will for was reason. in there, there is a line in the musical, Jake, that he says, would have shook things I, up. I am. I am a busy woman, and I am so much better than a man. That tells you all you need to say about the writing of that show. Excellent. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Final bit of news from me. This one's, uh, this has become like a weird little obsession of mine. Um, and I, I really, really want it to be a rumour that is proven true. Um, are you familiar with the whole Michael Bay, Ryan Reynolds, Netflix Thundercats thing? Yes, yes, yes. Right, okay. So for people that aren't aware of this, Michael Bay is shooting a new film the writers are Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, who were on the script for Deadpool 1 and 2. And it's got Ryan Reynolds in the lead. And it's got Dave Franco, Melanie Laurent, uh, Ben Hardy, Corey Hawkins. It's got a load of great actors in it, right? And this is a Netflix film called Six Underground. And it's had, like, even by Netflix's standards, it's had an extremely hush-hush production. They're filming it currently. Um, and no one's allowed on set. No one knows what's really going on. It's got a budget of $150 million. 
Um, it's shooting in Abu Dhabi. It's shooting in Florence. Um, and there's a bunch of different theories that have developed which are leading people to think that this might actually be a cover for what is a secret Thundercats live-action movie. Mm. Um, now, I'm just trying to see if there's anything that I can tell you kind of off the cuff, but there's basically there's, there's stuff to do with... Um, where they've been filming, there's stuff to do with kind of costumes that have been seen around set. Um, it comes, the information, the theory comes from the same source that claimed Simon Pegg had been cast in Star Wars Force Awakens, which turned out to be true. Um, and also, Michael Bay has been attached to a possible Thundercats movie since like 2010. Um, I have no idea what's going to happen with this. Screen rant are all over it. They're like producing an update article on it every day. <laughs> so hopefully we will find out. Personally, I think if you've got Michael Bay doing all the fuck off explosions and great action sequences, if you've got Ryan Reynolds and the Deadpool writers, you're going to have a fucking excellent Thundercats film. Yeah. But worst case scenario, we end up with a really good film called Six Underground. And the proposed plot for this film is it's six billionaires who decide to fake their deaths in order to fight crime. Um, now, I still think it sounds quite cool. Um, with everyone attached to it, I still think it could be pretty good. Um, I just really want a Thundercats film. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I, I, six Underground sounds great. I want a Thundercats film. Mate, I just I, I want Ryan Reynolds with like some fuck-off sword and some like Dragon Ball Z haircut running around in spandex being his classic dick self mm -hmm. like that's literally like what a great film i want him to have two uzis and then a samurai sword that's my that's my imagination and him like smoking a cigar yeah while saying um cracking li lines and jokes i want him to basically be like a wolverine samurai version of deadpool yes yes and that, you know that's not asking a lot yeah I'm, I'm, a lot. yeah we're being humble here we just want to we just want that yeah, exactly. But alas, that ends the news. The news. Um, so, coming at you from the 52 Week Film Project, episode 15, we do finally have... We talked about it once and we didn't do it. We talked about it last week and we actually thought for the whole last week that we weren't going to do it. But we've <laughs> fucking done it. Uh, we're doing a double bill review this week. It might actually, if I can persuade Will to give his thoughts very briefly, it might actually be a triple film review. Uh, I know I'm springing this on you, buddy. Um, but essentially, me and Will have watched two films. We've watched Searching, which is the Anish... Ch uh, what's he called? Anish Chagandi. Yes. Um, John Cho film uh, about a man desperately searching for his missing daughter, uh, framed through her computer screen, um, and all of the kind of tech websites that we use, YouTube, Facebook, Google. Um, and then we've also got Loving Vincent, which was a really kind of straight out of left field decision for us me and Will have both wanted to watch Loving Vincent for a very long time and yeah. I was scrolling through Netflix and randomly found it uh, which was incredibly convenient because we were going to do The Nun and we didn't really have time to go and see it um, and as we were talking about last week we were going to watch Yardi I didn't have the time to go and see it but Will did so Will before we get into Searching and Loving Vincent hit me with like a a brief review of Yardi. Yeah, okay. So, I, 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 this was just sprung on me, but I'm ready to go. Um, Yardi is a film by Idris Elba. Um, it follows a character called, I think it's called Dennis. Um, it's D, D Dennis, 
who, after the death of his brother in Kingston, Jamaica, he gets caught up with the wrong group of people and um, becomes a, a cocaine dealer, is sent to London as part of the gang, and is on, on this sort of vengeance quest to try and find the, the kid, the young kid who killed his brother, and bring him to justice. Um, there is a whole thing in this film about the idea of vengeance and following the path of the righteous only to go down a different path and Dee struggles the whole way through the film to try and find his place whether he's going to be good and whether he's going to be bad the good is brought out in the, in the music the film has really authentic Caribbean um, kink, Jamaican music um, um, and that's how Dee can do his release and he meets a young group of Londoners where he's in London who are really really passionate about music and he goes into that side another positive is his his family um he naomi aki who is um mona i think that's the main character hang on i'm pretty certain that's it she is um she is fantastic in the role as his leading lady um in in the film really powerful woman really powerful strong relationship with him and also his daughter um she comes from the actress who plays her i'm just going to look it up on um, IMDb quickly. Um, Amel Amin, I think her name is. Uh, no, that's the name of the manga. Uh, Chantal Jackson, who plays Yvonne. That's it, not Mona. Um, she comes from Kingston, Jamaica um, herself. She's one of her first filming opportunities. Um, Idris Elba found her as an actress in Kingston and brought her to do, do, do this film. Um, one of the things, one of the main things I find so positive about this film is how authentic the scenes and the action looks it really looks like they've done so much um so much um um so so much research into into looking at the accents and the sets and the culture um to a t it's fantastic um i have one problem with this film i think it's a fantastic film but i have one problem is that D throughout the film narrates his life and I really struggle with it because I think the the sequences themselves and the action and the dialogue and the acting the acting is incredible the acting is so good from all of the supporting cast um I just don't think it needs that um it it needs that voiceover throughout so yeah I would say for me it's a 7 7.5 out of 10 and that's a quick brief for you. I think that's all right. And that's a and that's a fab three minute review of Yardi from Will Paxson. Don't worry. I got to say, like, I was I was I was watching you as you were as you were doing that, and you, you you're even gesticulating like Mark Commode now. <laughs> you're, you're making the same points. It's almost like you had a Mark Commode script in front of you, and that was actually his opinion of Yardi. I'm going to have to look up his review later to double check that it wasn't you just heavily plagiarizing. No, but I don't alas, think it was. Um, what a Stop great it. succinct! Yeah, I, 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 I do really want to see it. Unfortunately, it's not really in cinemas anymore. The plight of modern cinema means some things are there for about four fucking days, and then they're there for two days at midday during the week, and then they're fucking gone. Yeah. Um. So I don't know if I'll catch it in the cinema. I do love Idris Elba. Um. I'm really impressed that he's got kind of middling to good reviews for his directorial debut. I think you know he's he's hit a fairly good first entry it is an adaptation of a book as far as i'm aware so the onus isn't solely on him um it was the first book that idris elba ever wrote uh, ever read sorry Um, and and so it's so it's really interesting how he's got how he's 
Um, it's like it's like it's been a real passion project for him. And um, Chantel Jackson, Chantel Jackson, who plays Yvonne, was talking in a Radio One Extra interview about how Idris would do two takes of everything. One take he would do his own directorial view, and the second take it was all down to the actor, and that is mixed out through the film, and that really has created very good performances because a lot of it is where Id- Idris has steered his actors, and a lot of it um, is where the actors have steered his scripts and his directing stuff. So it's really yeah. interesting. It's really good. It's, it seems like a real um, crew and cast have worked really well together on this film. Yeah, good stuff. Good, good stuff, stuff. Good stuff. Um, moving on to Searching. Um, so Searching is a... I, I wouldn't call it a horror film. I'd say it's very intense. It's a modern thriller. Um, modern in the sense that, it, for me, it didn't really do anything new thriller-wise. It's got the same kind of red herrings as any archetypal thriller, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into in a minute. Um, but it, it's framed through social media and social devices. And I know that sounds very gimmicky for anyone that's watched Unfriended or anything like that. You're probably going to think, oh, fucking here we go. Like This is going to be a cringe fest. Um, but it, it's very unique. It's very moving. Um, it's a very emotional film. It kind of starts by showing you kind of a montage through a computer screen of uh, this little girl uh, growing up with her mother and father and then the mother eventually passes away she dies of cancer when the little girl margot is about 15 years old um and then it's left with just her and the father um and that's kind of where the movie starts and they've got you know a bit of a strained relationship naturally and they've kind of not fallen out of love but they're not really as close as they used to be um and then she goes missing and that's kind of the setup for the film um john cho is the gentleman playing the father now will do you do you recognize him from anything do you know who he is um i know that he is um from, well my first reference from him and it won't be yours because we've discussed in the podcast how you've not seen the star trek films but he is sulu in the star trek films right and that's okay. my first so, reference. however right, i know so, what you're so, gonna say so so jogging way way back this this, <laughs> this was a reason this was a reason i was kind of concerned or like um it didn't make me not want to watch this film, but it kind of made me a bit apprehensive uh, because I thought, like, oh, is he really the person to do this? Uh, because, first off, amazing Asian lead in a thriller, Hollywood thriller film. Like, brilliant. Like, he's paving away. And the fact that this has got fantastic reviews, you know what? Even if I don't end up rating it as high as the Rotten Tomatoes rating is, or spoiler me. alert, um,. I am all for this film getting as much publicity as possible. Uh, it's needed. It's really needed. Um, but John Cho was one half... He was Harold from Harold and Kumar mm. uh, with such classics as Harold and Kumar Get the Munchies. Um, he was also essentially the man responsible for popularising the term MILF. Um because have you ever watched the American Pie films? Well, I I have watched about I think I've watched three and I think I've watched four. 
Um, which I don't think he's in. I think he's in one, two. But I'm assuming because they have absolutely no gay representation whatsoever, there wasn't really anything to keep you watching. I watch film with straight people in sometimes. No, but it, um, these, <laughs> these are films. These are, these are films like just about hetero dating. Oh yeah, definitely hetero sex. Like I would get it if there. Like I, like I know for a fact there are a lot of gay people out there that just don't give a shit about the American Pie films. Mm. But in the films, he plays one of like the high school friends who is, like, like obscenely attracted to Stifler's mum um, and just, like, shouts MILF at different points throughout the film um, and is is essentially credited. Like, I looked this up, and you go back through Wikipedia, he is essentially credited as the guy who made that term a thing. And that thing is used fucking... That term is used fucking everywhere. It's used mm. out of context, in context, like everywhere well, um, but, but anyway he was he was that guy and to think that he's moved on to doing an incredibly dark moving sobering um at times like frankly quite terrifying portrayal of a father who is at his wits end uh you know kudos to him like it's really cool um yeah i i fell in love with this film I really did. Really, I I have really strong opinions about how much I love this film. Um, I so I saw it with my friend Tom, and we both came out of the cinema saying that it's one of the best films we've seen in the year, and mm. that is surprising. I know that you don't have the same feelings about it, and that's I, fine. But you I, still... so what is it? What is it that it did for you that other films haven't done? What was what was so special about it? I think I really en- I think I really enjoyed the concept, but that goes without saying. I think it was just the way the concept was used, whilst also maintaining the heart of the film. I thought it was amazing yeah. how the it wasn't just a gimmick. Like it even, really it fe- wasn't just a gimmick. It felt so real as well. Like they, you know, they actually paid to have brands like Google, YouTube and Facebook in the film to make it genuine. Because, like, this film would not have that same impact if he was using, like, a fake search engine that they made for the film and shit like that. Well, it's a good thing, because I read about about the director. Chiganti um, used to work, before he started directing, before starting to direct this film, um, at the creative lab in Google in New York City. And oh, really? And helped write Google com- commercials. Um, and that was after... So he made a... 2014, he made a short-minute film called Seeds, and it was one of the first films on Google Glass, when Google Glass was, like, the new thing before it died. And then Google was like, you're amazing, um let, right you're going on the google creative team and so he has kind of had this relationship with the online media and selling online media in visuals from his from his work inception it's re- it's really interesting but i was worried that this film that it would just fall into my the the, the average run of your muck thriller and I will. I will attest that nothing in the film is that exciting in terms of the twists and turns. Would you also? Yeah. Would you? Right. See, this is my bone of contention with this mm. film because it's got great cast, very well acted, moving script, nice, clever, nostalgic touches, and like good kind of use of the whole gimmick. Uh, dare I call it that? Um, but if you strip all of that away. It is using the same recycled thriller, like true crime plot that fucking everything is used before it. And that was what got to me was like, 
in the moment of watching the film, I was completely sucked into the twists and turns and the, oh my God, like maybe it was the brother that did it and then like all of this kind of stuff. But when I actually left the cinema and I got in the car and I kind of thought about it after I kind of, you know, it all kind of passed over me, I did sit back and think, you know, it was cool, but nothing that it did was particularly ballsy in terms of the plot. Nothing that it did was particularly out of the ordinary. And it did end in a pretty generic way. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, I, my only, that's my only criticism of this film. I get I think that. that it's, I, think, I think it's well acted. I think it's a tight script. I think it's, it's cool. It's interesting. But when you... Like, I'm not still thinking about it. It, like, it didn't have that like shock me to my core aspect that some things could have. Yeah, and I think it it could have been a bit more creative in its twists. I also would agree with that. I think what I mainly enjoyed about it was the smaller touches of the emotion out of it, and the thriller kind yeah. of just backed that up. So scenes scenes where. Um, Margot's going through um, her her going live videos and stuff like that. Those small moments where you get in touch with Margot. I just thought I, the editing of it lingered slightly, so you could so you were so you were waiting to see what she was doing. And yes, that informed the thriller. That informed the information at the end. But these little there, there were little gems of moments throughout the film that maybe really warmed the characters, and then yeah. in turn got invested in the thriller because yeah, there are I better agree. written thrillers than this that I'm not in, as invested in. Because that because the emotion wasn't there. If you get what yeah, I, mean. I I agree. It's a really emotionally intelligent film. It also does the polar opposite of what Black Klansman did. This film won't be accused of grandstanding with its social commentary. No, uh, but it, it but it does have social commentary nonetheless. Like you, you you're exactly right. So there's kind of sequences in this film where the dad discovers that uh, Margot has been kind of recording herself on like a, a webcam chat site like not, you like a, chat or not, something, yeah. not like a dodgy thing or anything but just kind of writing like video diaries basically when she's sad when she's down and talking about her mum and stuff like that to anyone that will listen um and it is a it is a real window especially for the older generations that watch this film it's a window into understanding how how the technological generation how young adults and teenagers nowadays um vent their frustrations and their concerns and their anxieties of life um you know it's not necessarily going to be as black and white as they slam the door on you to their bedroom and they tell you to go away like maybe they are they've got another outlet for it um and you know i, I thought that was really important i also thought that it did a, a, a really well scripted part of the film was when there's a there's a bit in the film where the hashtag find Margot kind of trends as things do in the mm. real world now. Um, and the dad's kind of, there's a little montage where the dad's like skimming through all the stuff on the internet and he sees like all the classic like trolling, like, oh, she's not fucking dead, she's with me and all this kind of crap. Um, and then he also sees school friends of hers who he's contacted and have been like, like I'm not friends with her, like I don't give a shit about her kind of thing. Um, he sees these so-called friends like fake crying and being all like Margot was the most important person in my life I can't believe she's gone kind of thing to their Twitter followers to get followers and to get views um, and I thought that was a really cool touch because that is quite that was probably the ballsiest part of this film 
um, the fact that it wasn't afraid to show that, it, like, w- especially in America, there is an endemic problem with that kind of victimhood culture, with that kind of like, everyone wants a slice of the sadness pie kind of thing. Um, just made that up. I was quite impressed with that. No, that was beautiful. That was absolutely everyone, beautiful. Everyone, Jake. everyone wants a slice of the sadness pie. Fifty-two week film project. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you get you get the point I'm trying to make. Like I. And maybe I am. Like maybe I'm talking myself into liking this film again more and more. But I just felt when everything had settled, it felt a bit archetypal for me. Yeah, I get that. Um, what what do you want to go on to? Because we've got another film to film to review. Do you want to go we on have. to Rotten Tomatoes now, or do you want to do both at the end? Uh, mate, yeah, let's do Rotten Tomatoes. What, what do you think was the best description from a critic for searching? Um, yes, so let me get this right. Um, my best description is from Adam Graham from Detroit News. Um, it, he has said that um, a thriller would come along and utilise it. That's it. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> You're never going to be able to do it. Oh. Well, I, to be fair, I thought I just, I just missed out a couple of words. However, it does start like this. That a thriller would come along, utilising these ideas was inevitable. What's unexpected is that it would be done so well. I think that's true because yeah, it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree. Mine, my, mine's a similar, similar lines. Yeah. It's Moira McDonald from the Seattle Times, and she said, "Searching a pleasantly gimmicky movie gets its power from something that isn't a gimmick at all: an actor's ability to simply and movingly tell a story." Yeah, absolutely. Fair like enough. a large part of this film is just John Cho. There was a huge weight on his shoulders, and he he doesn't just play distraught and stressed and angry through the film. Like you see him in times of like imagine like having to do a film and having to recreate a series of very very short scenes that are meant to to a viewer in a cinema sum up a holistic representation of a happy family life through the years. I'm writing that down like, as well. Holistic like representation. Fucking, fucking boyhood took about 13 years to do that. Like, the fact that this film, in about five minutes at the beginning, can completely convince you that this is, like, a beautiful, lovely, caring family who just get each other and are genuinely a family and not a bunch of actors on the screen. Like, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Damn definitely. it, I'm talking myself into it again. Fuck. <laughs> you just want to love this I, film, I, mate. I don't know I why I want it. to dislike this movie. I don't dislike it at all. I just... Uh, what, what's your most savage quote? Uh, my most savage quote is from Christy Punko from Pajiba. Um, imagine Pajiba. if... Up- I know, right? We've done a lot of Pajiva ones. We have done a lot of Pajiva. Yeah, it just I'm come about up to a lot. I'm hit you with another Seattle Times, mate. I, th- <laughs> I think we should, like, say, big up Pajiba every time we do up Pajiba or something. Create it, make it a thing. Anyway, uh, <laughs> imagine if Up and Unfriended had a baby, but a stupid, ugly baby starring John Cho. Ooh. Yeah, I know. That's what Christy Punko says. Jesus Christ! Pajiba always have either they're really either really glowing reviews or Are they the very very blog? savage reviews. Are they the feminist blog? No. Did we look them up on a podcast? Yeah, I think we did, mate. Hold on, I'm gonna look up Pajiba quickly. Yeah, be- Pajiba Entertainment, Politics, Culture, Nasty Feminist Hug Box. Oh, that's why we brought up Pajiba before. And they sell merch on their website, and it's a it's a girl wearing a hoodie that says "illegitimate president." Oh God! Ugh, ugh! Just get <laughs> over it. 
fucking oh, get over it. It's the same. Um, it's the same politics that's in Maiden Dagenham. Haven't haven't forgotten it. Still bring it up. His, we've just lost loads of our Republican listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, good riddance. Yes. Uh, most savage quote for searching from me was Robert Horton of Seattle Weekly, and he said, "It's possible this movie might work better streamed on your own laptop, as the Windows within Windows effect gets multiplied." I enjoyed <laughs> Which that. Which I thought was like, it's not a, it's not really a big dig. I think he's actually sitting there thinking, it, this could look even cooler. <laughs> that would be so cool. If you had a window with another window with another window. That would be awesome. I like that. Um, best moment of the film for you, mate? Uh, see, I was thinking about this earlier. Um, I think the bit that like, the, 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 the best moments for me aren't the sentimental bits. You know, uh, the bits that really like, like knocked me sideways were these twists that I'm now trying to say on the podcast a couple of weeks later weren't really that great um I think the bit where he finds the texts between his brother and and Margot is pretty fucked up like I was there thinking like I know it's not actually going to be him and there's going to be some explanation for it uh but like at the time I was thinking oh like but like what if there's like a five percent chance that he actually did do it and this is where this film is going like the brother actually fucking killed her like see that's what I wanted that film to do I wanted it even if maybe it wouldn't have it would have lost some structure and it wouldn't have been as good as a result of it like imagine fucking imagine I know um or the bit where he sees the chat account girl who used to talk to Margot online, he sees her face on the obituary website um, and realises that it's a stock photo. That was yeah. pretty fucked up. Yeah, that was good. What about I you? really enjoyed those two moments. Um, best moment for me is the opening sequence of the film for those sentimental reasons. The annoying thing is that it was spoilt on the trailer loads. Um, yeah. That is yeah the only maybe that's why I it. wasn't so kind of grabbed by it so quickly. Yeah, but I think um, in seeing it in its entirety, I think sets the film up for me to be this big emotional thriller, and I really like and I really like the way it went. Also, it's quite nice seeing a Windows ninety seven slash V's Vista. I don't know exactly what it was. Um, just yeah, and the sounds, the sounds that it makes, like yeah, it's it is like there's a funny nostalgia to this. Yeah, film. it reminds me. There of are the, jokes. Of the, yeah, there are jokes that like I laughed out loud at just to do with like things not loading properly on the windows xp or something yeah exactly like no no one else really cared about slash got but it was like i remember sitting there late at night trying to get something to fucking load on that windows xp mac like that packard bell the packard bell we had in the living room do you remember when you would want to view a picture and the picture would like just slowly load from the top yeah like fucking tower of terror (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, is that what it's called? The Disneyland ride. Yeah, yeah. Like the elevator. Um what all right, what would you rate it? Um Ooh, it's a trick. I think it is. Because you you quote unquote said something along the lines of I was really, really, really blown away by this film. You, what did you say? You said I think it's one I think it is one of the best films I've seen this year. However, I don't think it's a masterpiece. I think it just affected me. So on that basis, I think it's an eight. I think it's. I think I really, really, really enjoyed this film more than I think I was expecting to enjoy this film. But I do agree that some of the thriller aspects of it were didn't wrap it up, wrap itself up. But I thought the emotion of it was just was was very very good. That's my that's my yeah. review. Yours? Uh, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give it a seven. 
Um, yeah. For more or less the same reasons, I just think that it wasn't as high caliber as some of the other things that we've watched recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have had a good string of movies, though. Like We've had a very good string of movies. Definitely. definitely. Uh, I feel like we had a wave of just like, we were just watching films that were just a bit shit or just a bit average. Well, I think um, there were also films that we wanted them to be good and then they weren't. We like we massively rated Teen Titans though, and I feel like we completely forgot about that. Like I do actually, I genuinely want to go back and watch that again, and I want to watch the final twenty minutes because I still haven't finished it. Mate, Teen Titans Go still I think is just is just fantastic. Oh, it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Like the bit where fucking Batman's chasing them and they keep blowing him up, and he's like, "Batman returns. Batman's back. <laughs> Batman and Robin." Like and he keeps like coming back out of the explosion. Hilarious. It's so good. So um, good. Okay, so that wraps up searching. Moving swiftly on. Yeah, um, haven't got time. Haven't got time. Doing another review. Uh, uh, we decided to watch Loving Vincent. Now, Loving Vincent was first conceived as a seven-minute short film years ago, um, but has since moved into a feature-length film produced by the Polish Films Film Institute or something. Yeah. They funded it. Um and the concept of this film is it's 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 a narrated story um, following the final days, the final months of Vincent van Gogh, the famous Dutch painter's life. Um, obviously a very tragic story. Um, I didn't really know anything about him and the circumstances of his death. Um, so for me, I don't know, maybe you knew more, Will, but for me it was very interesting because I, I literally knew nothing. I knew the whole thing about him being a bit of a weirdo and cutting his ear off, but I didn't know <laughs> the extent of the real tragedy um, and the fact that he didn't sell one painting while he was alive, but now he's essentially regarded as the uh, pioneer of, of, of modern art. Mm. Um, but essentially this, the reason this film's so cool is because it itself was painted. It's the first ever um, m like painted film. Um, there's 65,000 frames in this film. All of them were painted by a team of 125 painters. Um, it took them four years to make, with one of the lead producers even saying, we've definitely, without a doubt, invented the slowest form of filmmaking ever devised in 120 years. <laughs> um it went on to win Best Animated Feature Film Award at the European Film Awards, um, and it was nominated for Best Animated Feature at the 90th Academy Awards last year, uh, but it was beaten by Boss Baby. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It was, it be <laughs> it, was be it was beaten by Coco, but I wanted to just scare you for a minute. Um, what did you think of this film, Will? Uh, uh, interesting. Um I, me and you have been wanting to watch this for a while. Me and you have been wanting to get very, very drunk and watch this film and just absorb the textures, absorb what's being seen on the screen. I really like the fact that the film, the film looks as good as you think it's going to be. The film, it's amazing what they do with it's, the... It is, it is absolutely insane. And like, listening I to... Can't, and... I cannot stress that enough. This is not a film to watch on your phone on the train. No. This is a film to watch with the lights off with a glass of wine it, on like the biggest TV screen you can possibly find. Definitely, definitely. Um, it, I mean, using like they, they use an animation technique called rotoscoping, which I thought about. So it's where 
animation animators trace over the motion picture footage frame by frame to produce this action so that's so the whole film's filmed and then because it's painting however each individual painter will have to paint a separate frame of that action sequence to do that. It's insane. It's it's insane. It's an insane idea, but it works so brilliantly and looks so beautiful um, as a film. Um, I really like the fact that it's in a, I can't remember the exact ratios, but it's in a smaller ratio that was, that's used for um, older films or art house films. um, And it makes the squareness of the the screen makes it look like a portrait. Um, I've said all the positives about this film, which is the visuals. I have a real problem with this, not with the story, because I find it, I found it very interesting. I just had a real. How much pro- did you know about him and his final months before well, watching it? I don't. I knew. I knew the big facts. I didn't. I didn't know enough about the death. I didn't. I didn't really know what, what happened leading up to the death. I knew about the fact that he hadn't sold any paintings. I did knew you know about, about his, his like the relationship with his brother and. I the, knew kind of about that. essentially Gav, Gavshan, I watched or whatever he's called. I knew I knew things about it. Um, <laughs> Doctor Who does an episode on um, called Do- the Doctor and the Vincent, and it is uh, of course, yeah, and it's, it is that. one of um, Doctor Who's best rated episodes, um, which Stephen Moffat writes, and it is very good, and it's very sentimental, and it tells you. I mean, it is mainly a Doctor Who story, but it tells you enough to get the idea. Um, incredibly, incredibly brief interlude. We didn't bring up in the news segment that. Doctor Who new season has a release date, seventh of October. I'm cheering. Will, Will is do, Will is doing a Will dance. Which oh, so for exciting. anyone who knows him, you'll know exactly what I mean. I for anyone in... who doesn't know him, hope to meet him on a dance floor one day. <laughs> I thought it was in November, December, or January, and when it said it was October the seventh, yeah, mate, it's I less cheered. than a month away. Oh, should we? Re- I think I think we should review the first episode on the pod. Yeah, I would love to do that. I would love to do that. God, I would uh, get because, so Because you are... We've talked about this before on the pod, but you are a huge Doctor Who fan. I loved... I, I enjoy some of the old stuff. Um, I love Christopher Eccleston. I love David Tennant. Completely fell off the map after that for me. Um, because Russell D. Lost... Davis is the best writer in television. Yeah. I, um, yeah. And, I, I, and I also felt that nothing really in the Doctor Who-niverse... Um, is that what they call <laughs> it? Do they, do they call it the Doctor Who-niverse? I think I've heard they, the term they have to. Before. They yeah, have to. Um, but anyway, nothing for me got better than Torchwood seasons one and two. I think that was some of the best BBC drama ever, and some of the best sci-fi I've ever seen. Mm. Um, so I just think the rest of it fell flat for me. But I'm really interested in seeing Jodie Whittaker. I think she could be really, really good. I really like her as an actress. I really like her in the Black Mirror episode she's in, which is one of the most fucked up ones. The entire history of you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, back to loving Vincent and why you don't like it. I do like the visuals. I think it's an incredible thing. I just felt that the film's use of of telling a story it kind of reminded me like who do you think you are? It reminded me of one man yeah. going yeah, yeah, along yeah. a journey, and people said, "I remember because I was there." And then, yeah, no, no. So, so for me, I, I, I know exactly what point you're trying to make, and I completely get it. I agree. I think that the film, and I think this is probably because of like streamlining it into a way that made it doable for actually the whole thing to be painted and not be too technical as a film. Um, but for me. It's the film is basically a series of conversations mm. with different characters, and that is good from an artistic perspective because it allows them to just focus on drawing those faces close up by and large, 
um, and then doing some other kind of breakaways which are more landscape. Um, but for me, the series, the film, the plot kind of felt like a series of cutscenes from a video game that actually cared about its story. Yep. Like, yeah, yeah. like, like the bit that you play a video game for, by and large, is the bit where you're actually playing it. And then the cutscenes are kind of that addition. Like, they provide you with some exposition. Uh, it usually involves the characters talking because the characters can't really talk when you're busy, like, blowing shit up or doing whatever you're doing in the game. Um, and that's what it felt like. It felt like a, a long, a, a really long cutscene from a video game. I completely me. agree with you. And I think that they could have been... They're so amb- ambitious with their visuals. And you have a... Van Gogh is known as one of the founders of modern art. His paintings express in express amazing textures. And I just didn't feel like the film had much life about it. I thought there was much more interesting ways of telling Van Gogh's story. Um... Yeah, I think I think I I and also I had a real problem with the fact that I don't know if it was a problem. It just the cutscenes, you know, you know when they they go back into their memory and it's black and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I a thought diff- that was the most beautiful part. Uh, see, I thought it was. I thought that so basically for context, there's when they flash back to kind of Van Gogh actually doing things. Is it Van Gogh or Van Gogh? Oh, I'm, I'm going to say oh, Van Gogh, gonna, but I'm, I'm just going to say Van Gogh. We're going to get anyway. corrected by an art critic. It's fine, but you know, <laughs> Van Gogh is also a company that makes tents. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the scenes where they cut back to him actually doing something in real life when they're kind of retelling it, um, th- th- it's the most realistic of the artwork. Um, I I don't know whether it was representative of his actual style. I feel like the rest of it was. Um, but maybe they did it so that they could show those scenes with him in a bit more of an animated way. Because yeah. he is like he he's not the most realistic painter in terms of portraiture and you know people. Um, he's just very unique. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, no, I I would have ha- I would prefer to have a consistency of style, and that's not to do with the black and white. It's to do with the actual. It, it, the, the black and white scenes it looks more animated and less arty and in a film yeah. that talks about the visuals being such an important part of it actually you're only getting half of the film that is in, is visuals in that way and the rest of it although it's painted is is painted like it's an animation in my opinion it's not painted no, see, I, see I, I, I get you but I also was really impressed by those scenes I think that it looks so vivid and so real Mm. And, uh, I just think, fuck, the fact that they could paint that is just beyond me. Um, two points I wanted to make in response to your kind of thoughts on the story. Yeah. Um, I think the casting is amazing. It is amazing, isn't it? I... And, I, and I, I think that you can, you have to give it credit for that. Like, it, it must be fucking cool for these actors because they were kind of turned into a moving painting based on and they're each each of the characters is based on a painting that van gogh did of each important person in his life um and it shows you that in the credit sequence it shows you the pictures of the actual actor dressed up like the character right next to the painting that van gogh did that it's meant to be inspired by that end credit sequence is amazing yeah yeah it's it's so cool. cool It's really, really cool. Um, I thought Cyrese Ronan, who is an actress that I really don't like. 
for whatever <laughs> reason. She 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 bugs me a bit because it just seems like she's infallible. Like she can't do any wrong when it comes to films. Like she's like constantly the critic's choice, and she's constantly and critically applauded films. And I just want her to. I I just want to see her do something shit, so that. It cannot just be oh, sorry, she's so perfect all the time. Do you know what I mean? I know what like, you mean. I, yeah, I know what you mean. I want, I want some kind of reality, and because I, I think it's a dangerous line you tread when you get to a point where critics just applaud you no matter what. Um, so it would be interesting to see her do a film that people can agree on was not a very good performance from her, and see whether the critics genuinely do slate her or whether they actually are like, oh no, she did a great job again. Um, the Rotten Tomato effect is what I'm referring to. Ooh. Um, but I thought I thought she was cool. There's there's a line where she's talking to the main character who's trying to find out what happened to Vincent. Um, she said something that really stuck with me, and I watched it last night, and it stuck with me all the way through the day, um, which I really liked. And she said when she was kind of reminiscing on him, uh, she said no detail of life was too small or too humble for him. He appreciated it all. And I just thought that was. I thought that was really beautiful. Yeah. I, I really, really loved that. There was something so nice about it. And the way it's delivered is really nice as well. Um, I also think Jerome Flynn is great as... Jer- Jerome Gal- Flynn for me is the... Gaucher or Gaucher yeah. or whatever. Um, uh, what's her name? Helen McCrory, who plays the Doctor's maid, um, who is uh, a Shelby. She's the head of the Shelby family in Peaky Blinders. Um, and she's a she's a phenomenal actress. I haven't seen her in anything other than Peaky Blinders before, so that was cool. Have it was you, really nice to see her. You must have seen her in Harry Potter. Uh, what was she in Harry Potter? She's um, Malfoy's mother, Narcissa Malfoy, and she's great uh, in that as well. Okay. Well, yeah, but like again, years ago, so and bit I would, part. I wouldn't yeah. have remembered her from it. Um, yeah, I I just thought I I thought the the way the story progressed was average, but it was average for a reason. I think. Okay. I thought, but I thought the cast was excellent. Even like Chris O'Dowd playing the postman, the dad. We love great. Chris O'Dowd. Oh, I'm such a big fan of Chris O'Dowd. We, uh, um, do you know what I wrote down? Because I uh, every week I put a cast list down and I put the name of the actor, the name of the, the character, and what things we we have seen him in before. And if we haven't seen him in anything, I don't put it. But if it's something of note, I'll put it anyway. Um, and I just put Chris O'Dowd without even needing to look at Wikipedia. Went Cuban Fury mascots, just yeah. just great. Like some of and, two and of my IT favorite films. crowd, an IT crowd, and IT crowd. I, exactly. I still think I still think Cuban Fury is one of those films where it's it could have been really really funny, but just wasn't that funny the whole way through, except for the fucking dance sequence where Nick Frost and Chris O'Dowd have a dance off in the car park of the office. And they get in the way of a car and they move aside for the car to drive past them. And the driver winds the window down. It's just Simon Pegg looking all confused and then he drives off. <laughs> I, just, I just think it's one of the funniest cameos in a film. Um, but yeah, no, good cast. And I, I thought I thought the script was good. Okay. I thought I thought it was I thought it was interesting. And it was incredibly by the numbers and it played it very safe, but it, as someone who didn't know anything about Vincent, I came away knowing what I felt was a lot and not just the kind of stuff that any regular fan of him would be aware of. 
Mm. I think that this is a film that can please people who know the basics, but also people who are a bit more curious about him and have maybe read books on him, etc. Yeah, okay, I can get that. Um, my my, I've got a fun fact before we go to Rotten Tomatoes. Got you know, it. you know Will's fun facts. Um, so I, try, I do. I do love Will's fun facts. So I try and bring in some kind of thing about the composer every week, and it never works. Um, but this <laughs> one is very. That's why people haven't really heard anything about composition. Exactly. So Clint Mansell is the composer. He has done the. He's a lead singer and guitarist for the band Pop Will Eat Itself. I have no idea who they are. Um, what the fuck. He has done, but he, interestingly, he has done. The soundtracks for San Junipero episode, Black Swan, and Requiem for a Dream. And, and this is his most important fact about him. He has created the the, the YouTube um, song of the century. Whenever someone does a YouTube video and it's something exciting, it's always on the X Factor. It's that... Dun, dun, you know that song? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I that? know it. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. from that, I'm the just... orchestral X Factor song, exactly or the Britain's song that's like you're about yeah. to go through to the judges' houses, like next yeah. week on the X Factor. That one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Great. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. What a weird, what a weird career. I know. Also, Mass Effect Three, odd career. Oh yeah. Oh, good game. <laughs> good game. Um, anyway, uh, quote awards. Uh, all right, I'll go first. Okay, um, go on. Best description was from Indra Ariaga, Anchorage Press. Uh, she said the storyline is uh, Indra. I don't know if that's a, a man or a woman. To be fair, they let's not get let's not get hung up on it. Yeah. Um, she, they, he she says the storyline is mediocre and uneventful, and the film is just a tad too long. But the reason to see the film is for its sheer visual merit and innovation. Fair enough. I think it's a bit critical based on what I've just kind of given as my opinions. I think, you know, the script is good. The story is average. Um, It is uneventful. It's very true. But it's kind of the nature of the film, the nature of the story to a degree. Mm -hmm. Um, What about you? Mine's a bit more critical. Um, I do not I do not mention the visual stuff in this review um, just because. I don't. I didn't want to get. A, I didn't want to do a bad review of this film that talks badly of the visuals, and there were some. And there were some things of that saying bad things about the visuals because I thought the visuals were knockout. But I've got the, my best description from Adam Graham of Detroit News. I've used Detroit News twice in this review. Um, it relies on forced exposition to push the story forward and often recalls bad dinner theatre, and is certainly the least interesting way to tell Van Gogh's tale. I did think this was the case. I'm starting to change my opinion. Mainly because of your t- my talk with you, because because that's how we do things. We 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 talk and we we talk things through and we we are enlightened. But I still do think that there are so many more ways to tell this story that it doesn't need to be a flashback. It doesn't need to be conversations. I think you're right in the fact that what was written in the script was but not. Do bad. you think it? Do you think it could have been? Because I think so much of the circumstance surrounding his death and the rise of his public opinion posthumously uh so much of it came from the fact that everyone had a different opinion about him and i think to do his story justice you do really need something that is not just kind of showing how he really was but showing from his point of view but also showing how everyone else felt around him 
because by and large, how everyone else found it, felt around him was a significant factor in his death. It's a very good point. Um, I mean, yeah. the largest, you know, spoiler alert, the largest theory surrounding his death is that he was, he'd argued with the doctor um, about the fact that he was becoming too much of a burden for his for his older brother. Um so I think that while I while I do think that the script like maybe it could have been a bit more interesting to watch if it wasn't just a retelling through different accounts I think that that is the only way you can actually do the events chronologically surrounding his death justice I think it would be cool if they got an account an, an, like a split account through um, jo- Joseph Rulin, um, the crib played by Chris O'Dowd, and um, Paul Gachet, played by Jeremy Jerome Flynn. If they had two, if they had two accounts which were very different in in knowing Vincent, and also Vincent's point of view, I think it could have made for a good film. And I also just wanted a bit more. I felt like even though this film, through its visuals, was incredibly cinematic, because it is because of the because of the four years of the process. Actually, what they are doing with those visuals is is narrate is narrating conversation and just backstory. I wish we'd had more sequences like when Douglas Booth has that dream sequence and stuff yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. and you have the swirling and the and and you not don't exactly know what's happening. I wish that there was more of that in the film. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, I agree. I most agree. savage, mate. Uh, most savage comes from Ty Burr at the Boston Globe, and he said. By the final scenes, you may feel like you're overdosing on a cake that is all frosting. Oh, <laughs> I will say I do like the frosting. Fine by cake. me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love frosting. I, I can love eat a whole fr- cake of frosting. Yeah, exactly. Well, you wouldn't eat frosting by itself, but more frosting than cake is a good thing in my book. Um, that's not lie. That's just a lie. Um, so my most savage is from Colin Covert. He's not covert, but his name Colin, is Colin. Covert. Yeah, he, he does sound like what? he's Colin, but he's a covert. <laughs> He's actually his, his name is actually Tim, but he's covert. So that his name's Colin. It's a bad joke for everyone. That was uh, a terrible <laughs> joke. I think people are probably thinking, "Wait, what?" So this guy, for anyone who's not following along, is called Colin Covert. <laughs> he's not called Tim. That was Will. I was trying attempting a joke. To elaborate actually, I think on the poor successful. man's name. Anyway, um, uh, on, he's from the Minneapolis right. Star Tribune, and okay. he he says um, by hand. By adding hand drawing to every moment of the story, the team hoped to add an unusual dimension to the story. They did. It feels unfortunate and unforgivably gimmicky. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, you know, the one, the one improvement I could possibly think of is this didn't need to be a feature length film. Mm, yeah. Yeah. If it was an maybe hour, maybe, the, maybe this could have been a half an hour thing or like. A Channel Four special, one hour special, or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and then I think I, it, it does. Baftas and stuff like it dra- that. It it drags. Yeah. It drags. Um, do you have a favourite moment though? Regardless. Um, I have two. I think the end is the, yeah, the most powerful bit of the film for me. Yeah. And I like Douglas Booth's dream sequence, but I think the end of the film has a lot of heart behind it. When you just hear Vincent's words and it crawls up towards the sky. It's just, it's just very beautiful. It's just, it does, it actually is very, very moving. Yeah. Um, um, I think for me, 
one of my favourite scenes, just because it was like it was so well drawn, but also really interesting, was the bit where he went to meet the other doctor, and the other doctor is a bloke who is convinced that there is no way the bullet wound in Vincent's stomach was self-inflicted. I, d- I don't know why, like it's definitely not the most moving part of the film or even the most interesting, but I just thought that bit was really cool and I think it was really beautifully drawn. Um, yeah. Or the bit or the bit early on where the, the guy who Vincent bought paint supplies off is talking about how Vincent came to Paris, like the mecca of all artists, and it's a scene where all the artists are kind of drinking in this boisterous bar and shot after shot after shot and kind of ogling the women in the bar. And Vincent's just sat there drawing a couple of men at a few tables over. And the narrator says something like, um, but Vincent was like that. He came along and he took what he needed, but he didn't stay. He never stayed long, or something like that. Yeah. I, I like, but before that, he was saying like, Paris is the you know the final resting place for a lot of artists. They'll come here and they'll never leave. But for Vincent, it was just a layover. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought that I really liked that bit. As well. Yeah, it was, that was, was really cool. that was really, really cool. Yeah. Um, what would you what would you give it out of ten? Um, I realise in this in this review, I've been slagging off uh, the film quite a lot, but I do have to say the visuals are stunning. So I, I mean, can't get, you, will I never, can't, you will never see anything like it. Exactly. Like it so I, I cannot thing. rate it. I can't rate it too low, but just because the visuals are unique um, and never done before. Um, for me, it's a six point five. I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. For me, it's a seven. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's. I think it's really good. Um, but would had this been a film that was just the actors and wasn't painted. Um, I don't think it would be very well received. Definitely, definitely. If that this film would be would would not be. I don't know if it would be released. If it was, a, it, it would be definitely be a TV movie if it wasn't for this amazing. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, scope. Yeah. Well, yeah. there we go. We've done it. That's it, mate. A triple review. Yeah, triple review. My small never review, been Yardy done before in the world of podcasting. I know. I know. Um, thank you very much. Um, yeah. Yeah, so do, uh, follow us on Instagram, uh, 52 Week Film Project. We've got some really nice pics from the podcast festival. Um, yes. It was yeah, really, really fun. Um, yeah, we've still got Facebook, 52 Week Film Project as well. Um, give us an email on, on our Gmail, 52 Week Film Project at Gmail, if you want to uh, write in and um, have a conversation with us at all. Um, and we are also trying to get some reviews up this week, so an urgent plea to people, please, if you want to leave a review, whatever you think of the podcast, we would really, really like that. Um, yeah, we'd really, really yeah, like mean that. Mean a lot. Mean a lot. Um, and next week, uh, right, I, I really wasn't that excited about this for a very long time. I remember when we first saw the trailer for next week's film come out, you don't really give a shit anyway, because you haven't watched any of the previous films. No, I yawned. But, like, but I remember when the trailer, the first trailer for The pre- the Predator, the new Predator reboot, which comes out on Wednesday, it comes out tomorrow. Um, when the first trailer came out, it looked fucking shit. It looked like the reboot that no one wanted and no one needed. Um, but under the wing of director Shane Black, the initial reviews have rolled in and people have been saying that it's a surprisingly funny, uh, quite intelligent, but, you know, knows what it is, gory action film. Hmm. Um, hopefully it will be as fun as everyone's saying it is. It's not smashing reviews, but the general consensus is that you, you will enjoy this film. It is, it is fun. 
Um, so I can't wait, mate. I'm watching it tomorrow night in 3D in an Odeon Lux. Ooh! In a fancy bugger. leather reclining chair. Yeah, oh, very nice, very nice. On my own, nice and lonely. <laughs> um, and we will and we will bring you that review next week. Um, I, I'm away on holiday for a little bit this week, so we're going to wait until kind of back from that to get on and do the recording. Yep. So that'll be out about Wednesday, Thursday next week. Um, who knows what the news will bring by that point in time. I'm sure there'll be some juicy morsels for us to discuss. The Oscars um, will have changed their, th- changed their um, different piece of legislation again. Who knows? Yeah, the, the, the Oscars will have a best podcasting reward by the, reward <laughs> by the next time we, we speak to you guys. Um, but alas, we are rambling. Um, massive thank you to everyone listening. Uh, massive thank you to you, Will. And we will see you all next week. Bye.